We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, a special edition of the episode as we are recording once again during a White Sox game because what's happening on the field is does not matter at this moment because so much is happening off the field. It is Tuesday night, August 22nd, 2023, and today is a historical day for the Chicago White Sox as Jerry Reinsdorf, the chairman of the Chicago White Sox, has fired both Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn during the season, not after the season, and he fired them. Didn't wait for contracts to expire. Jerry Reinsdorf, of all the reports of him being very angry and how this season has been going after the White Sox were embarrassed Monday night by the Seattle Mariners, losing 14-2, has decided enough is enough. And joining me to talk about the gravity and the magnitude of this news is managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And uh, Jim, I hope you are ready to do most of the speaking uh, as I am still recovering from COVID. So for all the podcast listeners, one, thank you guys for the well wishes I do appreciate it as I am gutting through uh, COVID. And, but the news doesn't stop, Jim. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. What a 48-hour news cycle. Started with a little drop about, hey, we know Rick Hunt's contract situation. To you and I talking a great length about the White Sox possibly relocating with yesterday's news. And now this bombshell, the White Sox will have, hopefully, New people from outside the organization running baseball ops. Well, to start, let me quote our friends from the 108 by saying, <laughs> "Celebratory <laughs> beer going on here." This is a this is a <laughs> a very happy occasion here. Um, yeah, it's well. One credit to Bob Nightingale. We'll start there by. You know, reporting that little nugget that Rick Hahn's contract is up after a year, like he had a year left on his deal after this season, which, you know, looks like nothing when 
in a big major league baseball notebook among many other teams. Like I imagine like a, a, a Padres fan or a Rangers fan reading that is going like, Oh, you're left in his contract. No big deal. White Sox fans are like, Oh, now we know when the clock is ticking or like, you know, if nothing else, like that's new White Sox fans never know how long anybody who isn't a player is going to be employed for is under contract for So, Hey, that's, my, my ears are perking up. My eyebrows are raised. Um, my radar is up for change. So like the White Sox try to downplay that by saying we do this every year. And it's like, well, it's not the end of the year technically. Uh, so there's that, but also just, you know, this doesn't happen in most years, even most disappointing years, this doesn't happen. So Nightingale had something going there despite the White Sox attempts to downplay that. The other thing I thought of was like, it would have been funny or maybe it is funny because uh, you can't rule it out is like, Nightingale broke that news in order to cover that up. The White Sox leaked that they were considering a new ballpark or new destinations or relocation, maybe outside the city and outside the state of Illinois. And then to cover up that news, <laughs> they fired Kenny Williams or a con basically just like a never ending, like uh, trying to pick teams and like you're, you're putting your bat on top of the hands to uh, you know, your hands further up on the bat to see which uh, gets uh, the, the top pick. And uh, sure enough, like now to top that news, uh, Kenny and Rick are gone, but yeah. Hallelujah. Uh, many years too late. It feels like toppling a dictator statue. That's kind of what it feels like. Just the, the celebrating in the square, like, a whole lot you don't know about what's yet to come. Uh, there might be bad news to follow. Like this might not have actually fixed anything, but for the time being, for what you know, like change is good. And the thing is, and I'll keep talking here, Josh, to spare your voice, is like it shouldn't have come to this. Like, yeah, I've mentioned this before and we've talked about this in different forums. Is like if you think about general managers on five-year terms, like you know, five-year visions, five-year plans, you know, a, a GM gets brought into try to implement one. If it goes well, then it's another five years. And oftentimes that five, next five years is very challenging because it might require a skill set or a lack of impartiality or just a fresh set of eyes that, you know, the, the existing general manager isn't, can't bring himself to have. And so like, you know, that's usually like Dave Dombrowski, Theo Epstein. We've mentioned these guys as guys who have more or less, you know, they're great at executing their original visions. By the time that 10 years comes around, like it's, they have a hard time adjusting out of it. And so they move on or they get fired, et cetera. And so like with Kenny Williams, his first five years were a success because there is a World Series involved. Next five years, not so great. Things kind of fraying. Turns it over Rick Hahn, who should have been, you know, or he was a qualified candidate. Uh, he had some good ideas with the contract extensions. Like he had a, uh, you know, some idea of how to modernize maybe the way the White Sox evaluated players and such. By time 2016 rolled around, clear it didn't work out, but oh well. You know, that's been the case where like Rick Hahn gets fired after 2016. And we say like, oh, that was a chance worth taking. Or, okay, back to the drawing board. But there wouldn't have been harsh feelings about it. Or unduly harsh feelings. Like, you know, the LaRoche thing's a disaster. Chris Hale thing happens, but okay. Like, you know, that's a Jerry Reinsdorf thing as much as anybody else, because the Kenny Williams, Ozzie Guillen thing happened in a Jerry Reinsdorf organization. Like Jerry Reinsdorf stuff has to get weird before it changes. And so like, you know, ultimately you'd say at the end of Rick Hahn's first five years or 2016, say like, oh, well, um, who else is there? But like, there wouldn't have been the contempt that there was. I think the content on both sides, like he didn't seem to like White Sox fans and all White Sox fans didn't seem to like him. Uh, like 
just because he was around for so long and got another chance to fail again when he didn't get a, uh, uh, he didn't deserve a second chance. Like he just, it didn't work out. You know, a, a team with standards and a normal sense of accountability would have fired him in 2016, the way like the Phillies fired Matt Klintak when that didn't work out in the rebuild. And just like, nobody says like, oh good, Matt Klintak's gone. Like good riddance. Like people said like, oh, he thought he had something didn't work out. Dave Dombrowski's here to, to kind of supersize, uh, as a supersized solution to this mess, we're going to spend our way through it. He seems like the guy to do that. So like, you know, because Rick Hahn stayed for another seven years afterwards and got a, a rebuild and then botched that rebuild, like the contempt is like, you know, seething on both sides, like him calling White Sox Twitter or Twitter a cesspool, which, you know, some people drew conclusions like, uh, you know, canceling Sox Fest, like everything like that. Just the the lines of communication between the White Sox front office and the fans were just completely frayed and then cut off. And like, because it's a Jerry Ryan's organization, this is what it takes. It, you know, it takes Keenan Middleton making comments, takes Lance Lynn making comments, takes, you know, who knows, Tim Anderson losing a fight. Like it takes you know, Grafal being completely in over his head for changes to be made. But like the changes have been made and hallelujah, I now yield the floor. <laughs> Kenny Williams been with the White Sox for a very long time. So for historical purposes, Kenny Williams took over as the director of MILB Minor League Baseball Operations for the White Sox in 1995. He was promoted to the vice president of player development in 1997, and he took over as the general manager of the Chicago White Sox from Ron Schuler after the 2000 season. So starting the 2001 season to 2012 season, Kenny Williams was running the show for the Chicago White Sox as the general manager. The White Sox won the World Series in 2005, and they went to the postseason in 2008. In 2012, they came so close, but ran out of gas in the last two weeks of the season before he handed the job over to Rick Hahn. In Rick Hahn's tenure, the Chicago White Sox won 749 games, and they lost 893 games. That is a winning percentage of 456 during his 10 years with the Chicago White Sox as the GM, after spending 10 years as Kenny Williams' assistant GM, all that Rick Hahn has to show for his legacy with the Chicago White Sox is one division title in 2021. The team did go to back-to-back postseasons in the 60-game shortened COVID season back in 2020, but the White Sox postseason record during Rick Hahn's tenure was 2-5 at times. Rick Hahn was brash, borderline arrogant, and then went across the line to be very arrogant when saying if he was satisfied with the job that he has done to ask him after the parade. And now the only parade that will be happening in Rick Hahn's honor is the one that will be going down for Morgan Street starting at Antique Taco and ending at Maria's to celebrate the fact that the Chicago White Sox have made a monumental change in the way they're handling baseball operations, Jim. And there is going to be somebody new calling the shots. Now, let's address what is the internal rumor right now. And there is the question of who is currently in charge because there are some decisions to be made with the roster for the rest of this season. Uh, the September rosters do expand to 28 guys. It is being rumored right now that it could the duties could be split between Chris Getz 
and Jeremy Haber, the remaining assistant GMs for the Chicago White Sox. And you already have Bruce Levine of 670 The Score suggesting that both of them could be leading candidates for the job to take over Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn because of the press release, Jerry Reinsdorf, who had a lot of comments coming directly from him, stated that the goal is to find a sole decision maker for baseball operations and to find that person before the end of the season. So that's a lot to unpack and we'll talk about possible candidates. But I want to address this elephant in the room for internal candidates, Jim. I want to make it very clear. There are no internal candidates for the Chicago White Sox. There is nobody that is qualified to take over this job from Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, as far as I am concerned. Correct. Jerry Reinsdorf desperately needs someone outside of his organization that he needs to hire to bring in ideas that are not part of what is the organizational rot. And Jeremy Haber and Chris Katz are part of that organizational rot for the Chicago White Sox. And we need to cool it on saying that Chris Getz has done a good job with minor league development. No, he hasn't. Mm -hmm. It's a big reason why the White Sox are where they're at right now. We just talked about it last night in our most recent podcast episode on how pathetic the Charlotte Knights are, the AAA affiliate for the White Sox. He's not good at his job. His staff's not good at his job. They're ranked 13th out of farm system rankings across other publications because they made a buttload of trades before the deadline. That's not development. That's just acquiring guys that other writers and analysts like from other teams that are suddenly joining your organization. That's nothing to give credit for. So no, Chris Getz is not a good at his job. And if Jeremy Haber is the one leading the analytics charge for the Chicago White Sox, Jim, well, he's not good at that either. So, no, they don't have internal candidates. They need to find external. And I just wanted to address the elephant in the room and get that off my chest, Jim. So I yield the floor to you. But I really wanted to make that point clear. I do not think the White Sox have any internal candidates. Well, first of all, I went to the White Sox front office page. Very strange to not see Kenny Williams there or Rick Hahn there listed anymore. Uh you know, just I had not seen that first, you know, fresh eyes for the first time at the top of Major League Operations, Assistant General Manager Jeremy Haber. You know, there's no Kenny Williams in the senior vice president role. Uh, there no Rick Hahn in vice president role. Like, yeah, so that is new and refreshing. Uh, when it comes to, yeah, the internal candidates, like, you know, Nightingale mentioned that Getz is like a leading internal candidate. Bruce Levine, like to me, like here, well, here's Bruce Levine's uh, tweet because it made me laugh. He said, both assistant GMs, Chris Jet. Chris Getz and Jeremy Haber are very, very highly thought of by White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf. Sorry, it's tough to read because he used a lot of shorthand. Getz has flourished as minor league director. Haber has stepped into an important role as contract negotiator and metrics expert. Like, which one? Like, yeah, um, yeah, sure. But also, like, this struck me as maybe trying to butter up the guys who are in charge now. Like, you know, since maybe if they like to have direct lines to Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn as potential sources, maybe this is their way of being like, hey, we're friends now. You're the guy I'm talking to. You're the guy who gives me like on background stuff. So that's kind of how I, that, that struck me. But yeah, Chris gets like um, farm systems terribly ranked. And as you mentioned, only getting better through trading proven talent for unproven talent. Also, 
uh, you know, the hiring and firing of Omar Vizquel and Wes Helms, both yes. of whom were fired for less than savory reasons. Like, you know, Chris Getz has potentially skeletons in the closet or has a lot of explaining to do in terms of why he flattered Omar Vizquel and said he was a positive influence on the team. When you see the lawsuit that comes out and the horrible things he's accused of doing, uh, you know, terrible stuff and he had a flatter on the way out like if Vizquel were fired if they learned about what he did and fired him and just said like you know it was a personnel decision left it at that like okay then you know that sometimes happens you get a bad apple uh but uh handle that the way he did like makes me think no you're not a leader you're not in charge here you're not like uh that's not somebody I want having to handle like potentially uh, sensitive HR stuff. And I guess, you know, credit to him for handling the Anderson Comas stuff very well. So like, at least he's got that going for him. But no, uh, when it comes to hiring managers, hiring leaders of teams, like he's done a terrible job so far. So no, uh, also like the team's run differential off the charts bad, uh, up and down the system. Like, you know, Birmingham is mildly interesting. Winston-Salem has been okay. Canapolis has been good with very old players for a ball, but like, no, it's just the, the, the system performance right now is, is terrible. Uh, part of the reason like Rick Hahn wasn't able to make trades uh, before this deadline period, like trades to improve the team is because he had no players to trade from the system. Like every potentially interesting prospect who might've been able to help the team he needed in Chicago because they had so precious little depth. So like that's part of Chris Getz's job is providing players to trade as well as players to help the team. So no, that didn't work. So yeah, uh, there are no internal candidates, like you said, and hopefully that's just them flattering the newest people in charge because uh, right now, if you need information on what the White Sox are doing, like those might be the guys to give it to them. We'll talk about who, I, I came up with a quick short list of external candidates, uh, and I would like Jerry Reinsdorf to interview for this vacancy of, let's just call it, president of baseball ops until they hire someone and they give them a different title. The The reason why we're nitpicking on titles, it's just like any other job title in any other business vertical. There is a salary expectation in major league baseball. If you are hiring someone to be the president of baseball operations. So keep that in mind. There is going to be some nitpicking here, depending on the appetite that Jerry Reinsdorf has, as far as paying someone to take over for Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn to lead the Chicago White Sox front office. We'll get into my short list in a moment, but to wrap up as far as the legacy for Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, I guess we'll start with Kenny Williams, Jim. How would you sum up Kenny Williams' legacy with the Chicago White Sox? This is the problem with him staying along, uh, at, around as long as he did, was that like the, the legacy you know, maybe it should have ended in 2012 or maybe 2016, but just like his legacy should have been, he built a world series winner. Maybe he couldn't do it again in a hundred years, but he did it once. And you can't take that away from him. Uh, he was a very, you know, I guess compelling public figure and leader in terms of like the copy he provided and the, uh, I guess like the alpha act he liked doing with other players and, um, you know, executives in the media and such and you know it made for you know i guess a really uh, divisive public figure that people liked arguing over but ultimately like he did his job well for a time and then kind of lost his effectiveness and it should have ended there but then it stayed on for another 10 years <laughs> and same thing like rick Hahn, like good at being an assistant gm probably not good at running the show uh you know i think those are the the two big takeaways from them and then just 
failing for an extra five years for each of them is basically like the, the, you know, I guess how you look at it is like the, the stink lasts a long time. Like it was just allowed to rot, uh, in, in news parlance, it would be like, police said neighbors notice the smell. That's kind of what it was like, you know, watching the White Sox for the last several years is just like, just, uh, nobody doing a wellness check on the organization until it's way, 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 way too late. And the significance of this firing again, uh, the last GM that Jerry Reinstorf fired was Larry Himes, right? In 1990. So we're not young, Jim. No offense, my friend. Oh, but I was six years old when that happened. And my White Sox fandom does not begin until 1991, thanks to Frank Thomas. So in the first time of my White Sox fandom, the owner of the Chicago White Sox has fired a general manager. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the boat who's listening to this right now. Our, our faithful audience in Sox Machine, both readers and listeners. So I, I kind of need to lean on them on what does this feel like? Like, what was it like being a White Sox fan in the 80s when they were having <laughs> constant turnover in the front office? Like, I don't know what this is like to talk about a baseball GM and the guy who's running the baseball operations department getting fired by ownership. Like, this is the first time... We're going through this in our 10 years of podcasting together, Jim. And in that self, to your point, it's been overdue. Like, honestly, Rick Hahn should have been fired after the 2016 season. He should have not led the rebuild in the first place. And the mistakes that he made ended up being mistakes that he made again this time. A lot mm-hmm. of the same things were being repeated when players are leaving. You just talked to Scott Carroll and Scott Carroll shared stories about his experiences working with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and how they're terrible at communicating. And in 2023, after the trade deadline, the guys that are getting moved are saying the same things eight years later. Like, they did not learn anything on why they had failed before 2016. And they were very confident that this rebuild was going to work. Their plan was going to work. It was looking good in 2021. And then they ran into the Houston Astros. And it was clear there's a difference in quality. They had work to do and they did not do a whole lot of work other than continue to boost the bullpen for the 2022 and 2023 season. And now they're fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, condolences to relief pitchers out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> free agent relievers. It. Yeah. You, you lost your champion. You sure you did. The guy that, you lost the one guy who drove up uh, your market value to a couple extra million and uh, one year extra on your contract. You sure did. You sure did. But no, this is a historical moment within the White Sox history that we're all learning here and we're all going to be going through after supposedly a well thought of, <laughs> well interviewed <Yeah>. <laughs> process of finding a manager outside of the organization last year. Now we're going to have to go through this process for the people running baseball operations. And before we get to my short list, we do have a quick, we have a couple quick messages from words of our sponsors, but after a quick break, we're going to talk about what does this mean 
for Pedro Grafal? What does this mean for future free agents for the White Sox? There's the whole decision about Tim Anderson now that whoever takes over the baseball operations department will have to decide. And we'll talk about my short list after a quick word from our sponsors. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We'll go back to the Sox Machine podcast. All right, so we talked about the legacies of Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams with the White Sox as they have been fired. So now let's talk about the future decisions of whoever Jerry Reinsdorf hires to take over the president of baseball operations. Let's just work with that title right now unless Jerry decides to change his mind, maybe renames it to Supreme Ruler or still keeps with the executive vice president not wanting to pay market rate for front office executives, which would kind of fit with his uh, tenure as owner of the Chicago White Sox. But I think the pressing question is, what does this mean for Pedro Grafal? And Jim, we know that Grafal has two more years left to go on his contract. And, and I talked about it before the break. Supposedly, this was a well-thought-out, well-interviewed process by the White Sox to find Pedro Grafal. And it has been a disaster of a first year for Pedro Grafal. And I can understand not firing Grafal right now after you just fired the executive vice president and your general manager because you want some type of stability in the remaining games of this season. But Jim, what do you think this makes of the future outlook for Pedro Grafal? Because the guy who hired him is no longer with the organization. He should be out, you know, at the end of the season. Like Bob Nightingale tweeted, Chicago White Sox manager Pedro Grafal is safe, comma, and at this moment, comma, is expected to return in 2024. 
that well i mean like i should say like i don't believe that i think like safe at this moment which i think means like through 2023 I agree. because of all the change overhead like you know just it doesn't make sense the writing should be on the wall uh firing kenny and rick has changed enough like if the white Sox fired griffal without firing kenny and rick then you'd be like you know what's going on here like they're just gonna make the same mistake over and over again but in this case it's griffal hanging around and kenny and rick being gone like you know what's coming or i should say you should know what's coming the one thing that gives me pause is like when they hired griffal they already had his bench coach in place <laughs> like the white Sox have a habit of saddling people with other people like Rick Renteria had to be saddled with Don Cooper at the end of his shelf life. Uh, Pedro Grafal had to be saddled with uh, Charlie Montoyo and Ethan Katz. Uh, didn't get to pick his own guys in which, you know, watching Grafal go about his business. Maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe like, you know, the, the fewer responsibilities, the better for Grafal. He does seem like he's in over his head. So I don't really trust, uh, you know, who he would have brought in. So fine training wheels, uh, child-proofing the house basically like sure um but i'm hoping you know that that's more or less like just a product of kenny and rick micromanaging their manager and being like you know we like his manager but we really think that this guy is gonna help you get over the top and just you know um not ultimately being hands-off enough to trust the manager they put in place to make the call so that's why I think, yeah, Griffal is safe for now, safe through the 2023 season, no point in firing him, but it would be, yeah, catastrophically foolish to put, uh, to saddle the incoming general manager or president of baseball operations, what have you, with somebody as like lame ducky as Griffal, like, you know, just because you want to pay him what, like a million dollars or $1.5 million for the next two years, like, you're already going to be doing that with Larry Garcia. You're already going to be doing that with, you know, well, I guess we'll see what, what happens with like Liam Hendricks with his buyout. But like the White Sox have all these, uh, either they have deferred salaries or, you know, uh, extra years in the contract that they don't honor or they get rid of and pay out even if they don't want on the team. Just pretend that Griffal is a deferred salary and you're buying them out and, you know, treat it as that. Yeah, I'm with you. It doesn't make any logical sense to continue to have Pedro Grafal, especially if you do hire someone from the outside. And to, to the point that you just made, Jim, and be like, well, you have to work with Pedro Grafal because I don't want to pay for another manager in 2024. Who wants your Who wants your job? Nobody. Nobody wants your job. You're going to just hire a poor candidate. Yeah, the White Sox just happen to be so penny wise and dollar stupid that it would fit... <laughs> in their uh just their their oeuvre uh of just out of order hiring that puts them in the dead ends so we both agree this is not looking good for Pedro Gafal and he should have his resume ready to go on indie.com after the 2023 <laughs> season I I think his resume is already set like he's just gonna have a hole in his resume <laughs> Like what? Where were you in 2023? Oh, I was just taking a gap year. I was, I was doing backpacking during in Europe. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was discovering Listening myself to some Fleetwood Mac, trying to remember some songs that they had made. <laughs> yeah. So we both agree, Grafal should not be coming back. All right, but there is a very pressing decision to be made on Tim Anderson and his club option, and. Again, this has not been a very good year for Tim Anderson. He's currently serving his five-game suspension 
for his fight with Jose Ramirez. He's having a career worst year. Jim, again, this is going to be a pretty pressing decision to make. It's also, you brought up Liam Hendricks. That's another pressing decision to make. But I wonder, this is going to be one of the key questions during the interview process when speaking with external candidates. What do you do with Tim Anderson? And I'm, I would be curious to ask Jerry Reinsdorf. I don't think he would answer at all, but I think it's a worthwhile question since now Jerry is really in charge and handling day-to-day operations after firing Rick Hott and Kenny Williams. In that, does he want to continue to pay Tim Anderson next season to be with the Chicago White Sox? But whoever he hires is going to have to make this critical decision. And if it is someone from the outside that doesn't have any ties to Tim Anderson, then I think it becomes a really intriguing situation if the White Sox do decide that they need to reload in 2024. And maybe part of that decision-making process is moving on from Tim Anderson. And it's good timing for that because I think whoever gets hired, he or she should, you know, be able to make that call. And, you know, being that, you know, I assume they're going to be a third party, like, you know, somebody from the outside, an external hire who has a very, um, just, I guess, cold, unfeeling appraisal of Tim Anderson's game as it stands at his age, what he's shown, et cetera, versus somebody who they've seen come up through the system and experience hardships and overcome them and then run into more hardships. And just, you know, the very human story that I imagine that a lot of people in the White Sox front office or who were in the White Sox front office, you know, were attached to and understandably that clouds some judgment and makes it hard to maybe to move on. And, um, you know, certainly understandable. That's part of the just management in all fields is just, you know, not knowing when to let go or, or, you know, really having to be able to turn off feelings sometimes to make the right move business wise. So I think one, it'd be a, a fascinating you know, if Jerry Reinsdorf wants to make this, put this person in place, this president of baseball operations by the end of the season, he can do like a lot of surveying. Like, I'm not sure how many people he's going to interview, but like, if you ask that, even if the person you hire, you could say like, well, I talked to this person and they said this, you know, they can have a very well-rounded discussion on Tim Anderson's contract just by like a thorough interview process, interviewing three or four or five people and getting three or four or five different answers in terms of what to do with Tim Anderson's contract. So, I mean, like it is a good time at for this critical decision to field a lot of uh, opinions about what to do and see if there's consensus on uh, even if you don't have to trust one person's opinion necessarily, you might be able to, to trust like best three out of five uh, in, in that regard. So if he does indeed have a list of people to interview, then that would be, uh, you know, I, I think a, a benefit of the timing of this. But I think whatever happens, um, you know, whether Anderson's option is extended or, you know, or picked up or whether he's a uh, bought out and moved on thing. You just have to trust whoever's making the decision be like, well, here's your first tough call. Uh, you know, give them some benefit of the doubt because like they are looking at this probably as uh, impartially as possible uh, because, you know, it is a big decision and it is the first impression they'll be making on a fan base. And uh, you know, they certainly don't want to screw it up. So you'd think that, you know, they're, they're making it with the best information possible. And that decision, again, uh, listeners, has to be made within 10 days of the World Series. So right now, 
if there was a Game 7 of the World Series, it is scheduled to be played on November 4th. So, no later than November 14th, let's say, the whoever is running the White Sox baseball operations will have to make that decision. Not just for Tim Anderson, but also Liam Hendricks. And again, Liam Hendricks' situation is a difficult one to make, especially when you look at it from a PR perspective, as he is going to miss most of 2024 due to having Tommy John surgery now, uh, repairing his throwing elbow. And I think there's some hope that he could maybe pitch again in late August, September of 2024, but it is a $15 million option for Liam Hendricks or the White Sox pay Liam Hendricks $1.5 million for the next 10 seasons. So those are the big player option decisions that whoever takes over for Rick Hott and Kenny Williams will have to make on the player option side. So we talked about what this means for Pedro Grafal, what this could possibly mean for Tim Anderson. So let's get to my short list. And I also surveyed when I did the live stream as far as the breaking news on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. If you want me to, if you want to watch me be really on, you know, off the cuff and just reacting to the breaking news uh, and also get the chance to see even more of my COVID den uh, as I'm currently recovering. Uh, you can check that out on youtube.com slash socks machine. All right. The short list. This is what I came up with. The number one candidate on my list, Jim, is James Click, who's currently the vice president of the Toronto Blue Jays. And as a reminder, James Click recently served as the Houston Astros general manager after the cheating scandal in 2020. He won a World Series as the GM for the Astros in 2022. His contract expired and was not renewed by the Astros owner, Jim Crane. So he was hired as the VP of for the Toronto Blue Jays system is currently working in their baseball ops. James Click also worked 15 years in the Tampa Bay Rays system. We rave all the time in this show about how well Tampa Bay and Houston has developing players and producing winners on the field. And if you want to tap into the thinking of those organizations, I can't think of anyone better than James Click. So that's why he's number one on my list of short uh, of outside candidates for this job, Jim, that's realistic. That's the important word. We'll get into other candidates that I don't think are very realistic, but there's going to be a lot of conversation about your thoughts about James click. He's up there for me. Just based on his uh, track record, what he did with Houston in a very difficult time. Um, you know, the one thing I wonder about is like his last year or so in Houston, just exactly how he butted heads uh, with, uh, you know, ownership and Jeff Bagwell getting a weird role, like in terms of did he, did he alienate people? Is he like somebody who's not great at building a culture? Does he lack some personal interpersonal skills or was Jim Crane, the Houston owner, just kind of jealous of, click getting the attention and such and just wanted to be like more of a Jerry Jones type in terms of like, I'm the genius of this operation. Uh, step aside and I'm going to have Jeff Bagwell here because everybody loves him too. And it's fun to hang out with Jeff Bagwell. And yeah, I can see it going both ways. So like, that's why I want to know a little bit more about that before like being like, yeah, James click all the way. But I mean, in terms of what he's accomplished, where he's come from, uh, certainly like, yeah. Um, 
pretty much his credentials on the field are unimpeachable. So, so I like that. In terms of like unrealistic candidates, do you consider David Stearns unrealistic? So David Stearns was number two on my list. Listen, David Stearns is going to be somebody's president of baseball operations after this season. He has one year left with the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers were not going to let him go out of his contract to take over the same role with the New York Mets. And there is heavy speculation that Steve Cohen, the owner of the New York Mets, wants to hire Stearns for president of baseball operations for his ball club. David Stearns like I just said, is going to be someone's president of baseball operations. Now that you have this job available, could you maybe outbid or outconvince Steve Cohen to David Stearns to move 90 minutes south from Milwaukee to Chicago and take over the job for your ball club? Like, he's number two on my list. I think he's realistic because he's going to be serving that role anyways. <laughs> For a different team outside of Milwaukee, why not try? Yeah, uh, well, uh, outbidding Steve Cohen is very funny. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know that's probably but, unrealistic. Yeah, no, that's why. Like, I don't think he's realistic. Like, I he was on my he was number one on my list before the stuff about like him lining up a job with the Mets or the Mets lining him up, Mets having him in the sights because he is from New York. Like, he hails from there. It was thought of as like moving up to the, you know, um, going up from like a small market to the biggest market, like just a going from being in Milwaukee to going home, you know, nothing against Milwaukee is he actually is going home to New York. It's not just New York superiority here. So like, that's why I thought like as much as he would fit, as much as I like how creative he was in solving Milwaukee's problems under their payroll restrictions. Uh, and he was able to you know, help some big spending happen too. And some big acquisitions around being a small market and the brewers drew really well, uh, despite being a small market. So like he has, I think everything you want in terms of being able to work around strange ownership constraints or the white Sox acting like a medium market at best in terms of how much they allot to one player and how they play in free agency. Like I liked him a lot. It's just that if the Mets, are basically tampering or like have have it lined up to be like as soon as you're the first day you're you know not under contract in Milwaukee you're under contract with the Mets like that's the one reason I do uh, not consider him realistic but if he is like hedging at all or thinks the White Sox are interesting or really likes being in the area uh, and wants to talk to Jerry Reinsdorf sure lay out roll out the red carpet for him yeah here's the top candidate that I don't think is very realistic, but I've already seen everyone, especially in Chicago media, banging the table, banging the drum for Theo Epstein. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it makes any sense for Theo, Jim. Like, when he left the Cubs, he did everything that he could possibly do as a front office executive. He took over the Boston Red Sox, defeated the curse of the Bambino, and helped the Red Sox win two world championships. And then he came to the north side of Chicago and did something that nobody thought would ever happen and won a World Series for the Chicago Cubs. And he did both of those jobs for a very long time. And now he's pushing a lot of the initiatives, a lot of the rule changes that have really refreshed the, the league this year. And Major League Baseball, like the pitch clock and the expanded bases and limiting the amount of pickoff throws. He's leading the charge and trying to get more action on the field. And that's working. And mm -hmm. I've always thought for like Theo, like maybe the next step is ownership. 
or becoming the next commissioner of Major League Baseball. And that second part might be a reality someday, but the owners have just renewed Rob Manfred and his contract to remain as the MLB commissioner. So that path is currently blocked for Theo Epstein. The only way I could fathom a realistic scenario where Theo Epstein took that job is if it included an ownership stake with the Chicago White Sox. Like, that's the only way I see that happening, Jim. And Theo demanding and should be granted a lot of power within the Chicago White Sox organization where he is calling the shots for pretty much every level of the organization. That's the only way I could fathom to see the White Sox hire Theo Epstein away from his job within the commissioner's office right now to take over the the team. Pretty much. That's what you'd be doing yeah. to hire Theo Epstein would be to take it over the team. Yeah, it does feel like, you know, Epstein would be like hitting on 20 or hitting on 21 even. <laughs> like going from, uh, you know, ending the curses in Boston and with the Cubs and like, you know, kind of like if you do with the White Sox, like, you know, it's not much of an encore compared to like, you know, breaking the curse of the Cubs. So there is that. Um, but yeah, I think there are two things about it. One is that I should say three things. One is that I don't see him as a commissioner because I think he likes being liked. Like he is a, you know, he seems like a personable fellow, like seems like he makes, you know, generally a lot of sense and and has a an eye for like public relations and ultimately what sounds good. And like, if you're a commissioner, nothing you say sounds good without like upsetting the people who can remove you from office. So like, basically I think somebody in commissioner kind of has to be somebody who wants to be a punching bag. And it's fine being like a heavily compensated punching bag the way Bud Selig was, the way Manfred is, the way Roger Goodell is, Gary Bettman, et cetera. I think Epstein is just too personable, popular, too well-defined as a public figure to really take that kind of job. So I would be surprised if your commissioner, even if I think he would be very good at it, I think he'd just be good at it in a way fans would appreciate and not maybe the owners would. Um, I guess if he were somehow, if he were liked by both, that would be like his, his most amazing job yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I would say like, true. oh, just uh, give him a lifetime, con don't give him a lifetime contract because he will never die. He is an immortal if that's the case. Um, but I do think it makes sense, one, to try to interview him because like, that yes. might be a case where like he doesn't want the job. He doesn't see a point, but sure, he'll hang out in Jerry Reinsdorf's office and just kind of bounce some thoughts off him. Uh, you know, maybe he knows some people who might be good, like, um, or just, you know, he might have some ideas for what the White Sox have done wrong, how deep the White Sox need to go in overhauling what a front office structure looks like. He might have some ideas and just like clarifying your thinking. <laughs> it's weird to call him like a mentor for Jerry Reinsdorf, considering like Reinsdorf's twice his age, but that's kind of how you have to look at it in terms of like building a front office in the year 2024 is like, talking to somebody like Epstein and just being like, what do we do now that you're not hired by any team? Uh, now that you're not under the employ of any organization and you can kind of tell us where the game's going or what you think we need, like have that kind of talk if nothing else. But yeah, I think the only thing that would make it appealing, like you said, is the ownership stake, especially if like Reinsdorf's looking to uh, sell. And if he wants to be like, you know, you know, it, that would be a case where like Epstein could get like an immediate profit off it. <laughs> if that's a case of just like a quick making a quick buck, if Reinsdorf sells or if, you know, Epstein wants to be like, I'm chairman now, 
you know, like I'll be president of baseball yeah. operations for two years and now I'm chairman. Like that could be a case of like, yeah, uh, if you like living in Chicago and uh, you enjoy that whole experience, like, and now you want to do a title you've never done before, like that might be the quickest way for him to do it. So like, that's why I think it's not out of hand and uh, like, worth talking to but yeah i don't see him taking the same job title that he had with the cubs and with the red sox uh for an organization that really probably needs way more work than either of those just when it comes to uh an ownership uh because like the the red sox ownership definitely wanted it cubs ownership brand new ownership really want to make an impression deep pockets they wanted it reinsdorf you can't trust that he wants it let's talk about the chairman perspective like, I agree with you. That's maybe the level that you would have to offer Theo Epstein to work for the Chicago White Sox. Do you think the White Sox board would give, I don't know, 5% ownership stake to Theo Epstein to be the chairman of the Chicago White Sox or just like the president of the Chicago White Sox? And when you give him that title and that role, Theo will still have the power to go hire a general manager like he did when he hired Jed Hoyer, who is now running the show in the North side for the Chicago Cubs. Like he would still have that power. Like you're, you're not hiring a GM. If you're hiring Theo Epstein is the point that I'm getting at Jim. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that good enough? 5%? Like what percentage of ownership stake, if you had to guess would be good enough to pry Theo Epstein away from what he's currently doing. That I don't know. Let me see if I can find Billy Bean. I know he got an ownership stake with the with A's to stay around. Let me see if there's a number on that. So Billy Bean, like, let me see. According to uh, the LA Times here, four percent ownership stake. Okay, and that's the same amount that Derek Jeter got when he helped uh, Bruce Sherman buy the Miami Marlins and he was the CEO of the Marlins for that spell. Okay. So 5% for Theo. That's more than what anyone else has gotten. Yeah, maybe like something like that. And then like perhaps like an option for, you know, a say in the ownership transition or like, if can you round up your own group, that sort of thing. Like if he wants to be an owner uh, and ultimately, or wants to be calling the shots, like, yeah, if he gets replaced or somebody buys it and then like Epstein is back to working for somebody else, like that's, I think, you know, maybe there's some language in that in terms of when it's Reinsdorf's turn to sell. Uh, this is, I'm not a lawyer, so do not take legal advice from this podcast. This is over my head, but just speculating, like it would seem like if Reinsdorf's looking to sell and Epstein like comes here with like some kind of ownership stake, you'd think he wants some protection in there to be like, I just got my old job and this ownership stake just made me a chunk of cash, but didn't actually get me the status I wanted with the, in the game, like three or five years later. 5% of a team that would sell for $2 billion yeah. is a hundred million dollars. Before taxes. Well, yeah, before <laughs> taxes, but I, I'm just saying like, yeah, I know, I know. if you want to convince the Epstein to come to the South side, I think that's the direction you would have to go. I don't think it's realistic. That's why I don't think it's a realistic option. But I do agree with you that it does make sense, if at all possible, Jerry Reinsdorf could have a conversation with the UFC about the job, but just to pick his brain about and try to get what Theo thinks of the organization from an outside perspective and maybe get some advice from Theo on what direction that he should go 
And maybe Theo could even give some recommendations on people that Jerry Reinsdorf should be speaking with to take over this role. But to, to have Theo Epstein as the guy who takes over for Rick Hott and Kenny Williams, while I do think it's a great idea, folks, I think it's just it's not realistic unless you're going to give ownership stake to Theo. All right, so let's try to get closer to reality. And, you know, I mentioned James Click. I mentioned David Stearns. Then there's Josh Burns, who's currently the senior vice president of Los Angeles Dodgers. And since 2016, Josh Burns has been leading the Dodgers player development and scouting efforts, which the Dodgers are very good at developing players. Now, Josh Burns did not have a great track record as a general manager for both the Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Diego Padres. He was the GM of the Diamondbacks from 2005 to 2010, and he was the GM of the San Diego Padres from 2011 before he got fired during the season in mid-2014. So this would be, if the White Sox were in this direction, they hired Josh Burns. This would be his third time being a general manager in Major League Baseball, but he would have experience at the job and he's coming from what I would say is tremendous experience and really helping the Los Angeles Dodgers not overtake the Chicago Cubs as far as ruling the National League, but continue to be the standard in the National League, especially with all the injuries that they have occurred over the years, to continue to turn out Major League talent. So Josh Burns, while he may not be great or doesn't have tremendous track record as far as obtaining players via trade and free agency, if you're looking to like rebuild here on the south side of Chicago, I think Burns could be a good direction as far as his ability to identify talent, especially young talent, Jim, and put in the processes and the tools in place to actually develop major leaguers. Yeah, I'm looking at his track record right now to see, like, remember who was in charge with where he was. So Diamondbacks, that was Ken Ken Kendrick. Uh, so it was Ken Ken. Um, but, yeah, like, he worked under a couple of bad ownership situations. And so, like, there were some things above him that might be the reason why he didn't succeed in Arizona and San Diego. So like I would give him a little bit of slack, but also like, I just wonder like Andrew Friedman is so good, <laughs> you know, and that's a case of like, that's a David Stearns type situation where Friedman went from Tampa to Los Angeles. And why I think like Stearns would be hard to pry away from New York, from going from Milwaukee's resources to New York's resources. Like you'd think watching Friedman do what he's doing with the Dodgers. Like that looks like the dream for somebody who has shown uh, himself to be as capable as Stearns is. But, like, I just wonder if anybody in that role would look good uh, with the way the, the Dodgers put resources in. So if Burns can be, like, or if his success is contingent on, like, competent, supportive ownership, I'm not confident that he would be the guy, although he would have, like, some mistakes to have learned from. So the question would be, like, is third time the charm or is it the case of just – he's only as good as like somebody above him or the people above him or the organization. So I can see the arguments for and against him. I would be like open-minded if the White Sox hired him, but they'd be kind of sticking in the back of my mind is like, Oh, if you, if you didn't succeed because of uh weird, uh, unstable ownership situations in your previous jobs, then 
I don't know if uh, Chicago is the right place for you. And then the last one I thought would be more realistic if Kenny Williams continued on with the Chicago White Sox as someone that could replace Rick Hahn as GM. I'm not so sure about this, but I'll throw the name out there. Mike Hill, he's currently the senior vice president of Major League Baseball in commissioner's office for on-field operations. Mike Hill served as the Miami Marlins president of baseball operations after the 2013 season all the way to 2020 when his contract was not renewed as uh, he kind of butted heads with Derek Jeter. Uh, as Derek Jeter was demanding him to take a pay cut, and then obviously Derek Jeter would go on to hire Kim Ng uh, to take over for Mike Hill. Uh, but he has experience. It's not great on-field experience at the major league level, but Mike Hill put in a lot of the processes in place and player development in place for the Miami Marlins, and they have done a very good job as far as developing major league talent. That's why they're able to somewhat compete and still be part of of the National League playoff race this year and why they surprised so many in 2020 and reaching the postseason and shocking the Chicago Cubs in that first round of the postseason in the National League. Again, not a sexy choice, not close to being the number one choice for me, but he is African-American. He's the one minority that I have right now on my list that I I know I have to dig deeper to find other choices uh, other than just the obvious candidates, but I, I picked who I thought were the obvious candidates right off the bat, and Mike Hill is on that list. Like he may be someone that Jerry Reinsdorf will talk to uh, during this interview process, and he is available to take the job right now. He's currently not working for another baseball organization. Yeah, it was funny. He was there when Ozzie Guillen was hired and fired with the Marlins. So that would be kind of funny to have, uh, yeah. Ozzy saying like, well, Kenny's gone. And then somebody else comes in who he had a direct, uh, experience with working, uh, with, but yeah, I mean, like he's done enough. He's had some highs and lows and such, but at least in terms of like experience running an organization, another one where like he has experience working with like an owner who's probably worse than Jerry Reinsdorf. Definitely like, more meddlesome and uh, just more onerous and uh, unpleasant, I think, publicly than Jerry Reinsdorf is. So he has some experience in like managing upwards, which is probably important for uh, the person in this job. So like, yeah, not uh, not opposed again to like if he showed up on an interview list and uh, it would just depend, I think, on how they're going to hire underneath. Is it going to be like just one shot caller and like he's got to establish the entire analytics department. He's got to you know, establish everything else. Like then he doesn't really have the experience like that you're looking for in terms of like a modern 2024 front office and all the research and development that goes into, you know, building a real player development powerhouse. But like if he's there for just like identifying people who can do those jobs and being more of like a an, an oversight person who uh, can learn, you know, can show you how to build an organization, has contacts and everything like that with uh, qualified people and has the reputation in place to make good hires and hire people away who want to work for the White Sox, then sure. Uh, I can see him being somebody who fulfills a kind of role with the White Sox. It really comes down to like what title they decide for this person and what exactly that person has to do, if it's the day-to-day -day stuff or if it's the more broad, uh, visionary 
type stuff of building an organization versus like making waiver claims. Well, again, we'll probably be hearing on who are the candidates in the upcoming weeks, but that will conclude this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. And that's what we have to look forward to now is speculating on who the White Sox could possibly be hiring to take over for Rick Hott and Kenny Williams. But that is the breaking news. It's so nice. Yes, we... It's so nice. Like, it's it's just, you know, I don't... Let's say I don't have high hopes for this. I don't really have any hopes. Like, it's just more along the lines of, I don't know what's going to happen. This is all brand new. So, like, I don't really have expectations. I'm prepared to be disappointed. I'm also prepared to be surprised. But, I mean, like... Everything around the White Sox had grown so stale and like seeing like, you know, off seasons come and go and realizing like, oh, he's trying the one year outfielder thing again. Oh, you can only spend this much on thing. Oh, he's bolstering the bullpen, like just having the same uh, ideas not work and hitting the same dead ends. Like, I'm just happy to have new stuff to talk about, to think about like the White Sox can be terrible the rest of the way. The on-field product is going to be dreadful. Like there's, you know, to have this kind of distraction and uh, just doing research and, you know, reading, you know, looking into candidates, watching what other teams are doing and what other teams did in some of those situations and actually have it apply. Even if like, you know, if it turns out like the White Sox go and hire like Paul Beeston, uh, the old Blue Jays executive who was like near 80, but you know, he's a friend of Jerry Reinsdorf and he's the reason why uh, the Blue Jays were not able to hire away Kenny Williams uh, when they want to is because they basically were like, you know, pulling the rug out from under Beeston who Reinsdorf had a close friendship with and didn't really like Williams being used at that end. But like, I could see like, you know, that's very much possible that, you know, uh, Reinsdorf hires an old friend. It looks a lot like Larusa in terms of like, yeah, he was credible once, but ultimately just not does not have the acumen or energy to get the job done in the modern era. But like for the time being, I'm willing to suspend some uh, disbelief and just think anything is possible in terms of like hiring a real qualified candidate who understands what it takes to make the White Sox into something in the 2020s. Uh, better late. It's very, very late, but better late than never. And certainly gives us something to talk and think about that's new. Again, that'll do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can follow us on social media, on all the outlets. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We also upload videos into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. Please subscribe to our channel there. You can also subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can help support us as well at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all of Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. 
serving collectors since 1945.